three years ago today, this Sunday, three years ago, that we had the grand opening of our new facility that we get to worship in today. And God just uh, had done an incredible miracle. The story of how God guided this church to, to relocate over 23 miles north of Farmer's Branch God step-by-step guided us, guided the church, and put us right here on this spot at just the right time when high school's coming in and all these houses and apartments were built all around us. It's just an amazing, amazing story of the guidance of God. In fact, about a week and a half ago, I was asked, I, I was on a phone call for a phone interview with the architectural firm that helps design and build this building. And they were aware of the miraculous story that, uh, that God has done uh, for us and through us. And so they wanted me to tell them the story because they wanted to capture that and write an article, which is what happened. And so I was able to tell them not what we did for God, but what God has done for us. We were all just a testimony of the amazing God that we serve and how God guides his people, that what God guides you to do, he will enable you to do. What he guides you to do, he will provide for you to do. He will give you the power to do. And we're here today because of the greatness of God. And so I was able to share that interview. They wrote up the article, sent it to me. Dr. Wednesday did a great job of of constructing the article. And now they're going to send it out to 50,000 churches in the United States to read about so that Hopefully, those churches can be encouraged by what God did for us and through us. And I think, yeah, praise the Lord. Every time I get to share the story of what God has done and is doing in our church, literally people go, wow. Because it is an extraordinary experience, an extraordinary story of the guidance of God. But the truth of the matter is that God is no respecter of persons. What God has done for Brookhaven Church, God will do for any church that will seek him, that will listen to him, that will follow him. But really what I want to communicate to you today is this. What God has done for our church, he will do for you. God wants to guide your life. He wants to guide you into his purposes and his plans for your life. And I'm telling you, whatever it is that God created you for and whatever it is that God wants to guide you to do, it's going to take his supernatural power, his supernatural provision for you to fulfill it. But what God guides you to do, God will provide for you to do and God will enable you to do. But many Christians... And many churches really don't experience consistently the guidance of God. But I want you to know it's not because God isn't willing to guide you. It's not that God's not willing to guide his people. He wants to do that. It is his nature to do that. He longs to do that. The reason that most people do not experience God's guidance and therefore get to experience his supernatural power and provision and enablement through them is because they just don't know how God guides them. They don't know 
God is guiding them oftentimes, and they don't identify that it's God. They don't realize that it's his voice. So beginning today and over the next four or five weeks, I want to talk to you about how the Lord guides his people, how God guides his people. So we're going to be talking to you about that because I want you to know how God guides you so that you can recognize when it's God talking to you so that you can follow him. And when you do that, his supernatural presence power and provision will begin to be manifested in and through your life for his glory, not yours, but for his, and for the accomplishment of his purposes. And so today, I want to begin with really the prerequisites for for being guided by God. And if you don't get down what we're going to talk about today, then what I'm going to say over the next four or five weeks is not going to really help you. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 10, or if you prefer, you can look on the screen and read along with me. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, Jesus is giving an illustration that he's speaking to the Pharisees. So notice what he says, beginning at verse 1, very truly... I tell you, Pharisees, that anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way, that's a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech or this illustration, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Then on down later in the chapter at verse 27, Jesus comes back to this theme and he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Shepherding was very common in the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. I, however, did not grow up around sheep. I grew up around cows. Taking care of cattle and taking care of sheep are completely different things. So I understand from my research, not from my experience, that it was very common in those days that maybe there would be shepherds who would have a flock of sheep and they would be out different flocks scattered all over the hillsides and the valleys. But when evening would begin to come, Darkness beginning to set in, the dangers, of course, from wolves and other predators would begin to increase. So the shepherds would come together, and they would build a sheep pen. They would oftentimes take blocks that were nearby and build this makeshift um, pen. They would take brush and limbs and whatever, and they would just create this this sort of uh, corral made out of all these things, and then they would have a place where all the sheep and all the flock 
would come in together and they would all mix and mingle. And so you might think, well, how in the world are they ever going to get them separated back out? But the next morning, the shepherds would come and they would enter by the gate and they would come in and they would call their sheep by name and call out to them and begin to walk and the sheep who heard and recognized their shepherd's voice would leave the other flock, wherever they were, and they would go out single file and make their way following the shepherds one by one in different directions across the hills. Jesus gave that illustration to illustrate his relationship with you and me, with his people. Jesus said it's a common illustrate, it's a common way of God that God the Savior speaks to you and me, his people. He walks out and guides us, and we hear his voice, we love him, we trust him, we want to be with him, and so we follow him. Now notice, shepherds don't get behind the sheep and drive them, but they get out ahead of the sheep, walk before the sheep, and the sheep voluntarily follow the shepherd because they trust him, because they recognize his voice, and they want to be with him. That's a picture of how God guides his children. See, God guides you. There are many passages in the Bible where God promises, I will guide you. He never says, I will drive you. God is not in the habit of making you do what you don't want to do. He's not going to make you follow him. He's not going to make you listen. He calls you by name. It's very personal. He knows you. He speaks to you. And he goes before you and says to you, follow me. And because you trust the Savior and you know his voice and you know when he's speaking to you, you follow him. So to be guided by God begins with an attitude of submission to his guidance. In other words, I'm willing to follow him wherever he goes. Whatever he says, I'm going to follow him. And I've made that decision up front. Before I even know where he's going, I'm going to follow him. I've already decided to submit and follow Jesus. See, we all follow something or someone. Whenever there's a decision to be made about what you're going to do, some people follow what they think their friends want, want them to do. Sometimes people have decisions to make, and, and rather than listening to what God wants them to do, oftentimes they will follow the money, what they think might be the most advantageous financially. Some people follow peer pressure. Some people just follow what they think will make them happy, what they think will be more fun. 
to make a decision. Who are we going to follow? What are we going to follow? And if you're going to be guided by God, you need to make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus. And you need to make that decision up front. You see, God is not in the business of giving you options. What we really like, most of us, what we want to do is we want to, we got a decision before us, and we sort of have an idea of what we'd like to do. Maybe we've talked to other people and we've kind of got ideas about what they'd like to do, what they think we should do. What we really want to do is come to God and say, well, God, I'd like to hear your plan. Because we know God's smart and we know he's powerful and we know, you know, he thinks of things we don't think about. So we would like for God to reveal his plan for us so that we can evaluate his plan along with my plan and along with our friends and whoever else. And then we can decide which of these do we think we want to do. And God doesn't really do that. God is not in the characteristic, it's not a characteristic of God to give you options. He is your shepherd. He says to you, follow me, and then he turns and he goes and he expects you to voluntarily follow him. You need to make up your mind in advance, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. That is the attitude that receives consistent guidance from God. An attitude of submission to his guidance. Have you ever made that decision in your life? I mean, most of you in here, most watching me right now, are children of God. You know that Jesus, your good shepherd, laid down his life for you. You've chosen to follow him. But have you really made the decision, settle it once and for all with your life that whatever he wants you to do, you're going to do? See, he won't make you do things. He guides you. He goes out and leads you. But you have to choose to follow him. Now, I grew up on a farm. And on our farm, we had usually around 300 head of cattle. And uh, working with cows is a whole different deal. So we would about every other Saturday morning, bright and early in the morning, we would get up to go up and tend the cows. We would doctor those who were sick. We'd do routine uh, examinations of others and different things that you had to do with them. So about every two weeks, we would get ready to go try to tend this 300 head of cattle. And I want to tell you, it was would uh, catch the horse, get him all saddled up. We'd get the cow dogs, get them ready to go. Uh, we'd get the truck. We'd have the tractor. We'd get the whip. So we would go out there and almost like simultaneously get in position, and then it was like somebody could go, and I mean, then all of a sudden, man, the, honk, the horn started honking on the truck. We're cracking the whip. We're hollering at the cows. The dogs are barking. And we, the goal was to get them running, and then as the whole herd would begin to run, then we would start flanking them with the horse or with the truck or whatever it was, trying to get the, the lead cow to go in the direction we wanted to go because they'd all start following that one. And the goal was to get this 300 head of cattle to go where they didn't want to go. 
sometimes it worked. But sometimes it didn't. Sometimes they just split and go in a hundred different directions, and when that happens, we'd say, well, we'll try it again next week. But you, working with cattle, when they took cattle across the country, they used to call them cattle drives, right? They drove the cattle. They, they'd get behind them and push them where they didn't really want to go. But that's not how God leads you. He won't make you do his will. Too many of his children sort of live our lives as though if it's really important, God's going to somehow, you know, show up in some spectacular way and maybe write it in the sky or send me a telegram or he'll do something supernatural, spectacular, and then it'll get my attention and, well, then I'll do God's will. But until he does that, most of the time I don't even hear from God and I just go about my business assuming God will intervene if it's really important. That's not really how God works. God wants to speak to you, go before you, and you got and you are guided. You submitted your life in advance to his guidance. And you listened. He tells us in the book of Psalms, verse uh, chapter 32, in verse 8, he says, I will instruct you. And I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye and ear. But do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bits and bridles, or they will not catch you. You know, the difference in sheep and cows and horses and mules, horses and mules are stubborn. They have their own idea of what they want to do. Horse that I had growing up, um, he didn't like to work. So every other week when it was time to go catch the horse, my dad would send me out there, and it was an ordeal to catch that horse. He saw me coming, and he would go just as fast as he could to get away. I'd have to hem him up. I'd chase him all over that field, finally get him hemmed up, finally basically have to deceive him into thinking he was caught so I could get the bridle in his neck. And then the entire time we're out there, he's just pulling on that bridle and pushing and just cannot wait to go home. And I cannot tell you how many times while we had the cow pen and we had him tied up, had his bridle tied up over there or whatever, we'd be in there working with the cows, and he would just back up until he broke the bridle and he'd take off and go home. God says, don't be like that. This attitude of how little can I do, God, to serve you? Don't have this attitude of, you know, stubbornness before God as if every single time God is trying to get you to do something, it's a battle. I mean, is that how it is with you? I mean, you know, do you have to have a, does God have to have a major wrestling match with you every time he wants to do something? Or do you have a submissive heart? Who's decided in advance, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I became a Christian when I was eight years old and really tried to serve the Lord all my life. But I was about 14 when the Christian life really became more than about, you know, doing good works and obeying mom and dad and going to Bible school. It became about this relationship 
with this person that I can have this this intimate relationship with. But when I turned 17, one day I was spending some time alone with the Lord, and God began to deal with me about a dream that I had in my life. There was something that I sort of, when I saw my future, I envisioned this kind of future for me. And I envisioned that I would be able to do this particular thing. And one day I'm talking to the Lord and he said, are you willing to give that to me or not do that? Well, the thing about God is you can't lie to God and you can't con God. He knows how you're really feeling. Now, so I couldn't just say, yes, Lord, and then not really mean it. So I couldn't say that. So I began to say things like, God, you know, first of all, you wouldn't ask me to do that. You wouldn't ask me to give that up. But the more I prayed and every time I tried to talk to God about anything, that's all he wanted to talk about. I rebuked the devil. I said, Satan, get away from me. It's got to be you. Finally, I came to the point where I said, um, well, God, if you will just let me do this, then I will do this for you. And I started bargaining with him started making deals with him. But God doesn't accept any deals. Every time I talked to God, he said, are you willing not to do that? Well, it took me about a year wrestling over that issue. One day I was reading a passage where Jesus was talking to the crowd, thousands of people. The crowd hadn't shown up because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They showed up because they hoped he would feed them, or they hoped that he'd do a miracle. They, you know, he was their entertainment. They wanted to see some miraculous something. Well, Jesus, realizing this, realizing that the crowds were not there sincerely, that he began to say some things to them that were pretty strong. And so the Bible says people began to leave. The crowd began to disperse. The disciples who were standing there with him said, Lord, this is hard stuff you're talking about to us. And Jesus looked at them and said, you're going to go away quickly. And they said, where will you go? You alone have the words of life. So one day, I'm almost 18 now, and I'm getting ready to pray, and God says, are you willing not to do this?
need to make it an advantage. Now, there have been a number of times through the years when some something the Lord would guide me to do, and I would instantly get afraid, or I would think this is going to be painful, or I would think this is going to take sacrifice, or whatever, and there would be this immediate, almost instant, I want to wrestle with this, and then I just go back to worship. I settled this at home. Yes, I'm not going to fight that battle again. I've chosen to be the father's hear from God and to be guided by God begins with an attitude and a condition that is godliness. I settle it. Have you settled it? Have you settled it? Or is there something in your life right now that the Lord's been dealing with you about and you're still wrestling with him? How long are you going to do that? God won't make you follow him. You know, there's a story found in Mark chapter 10. Verse 17, you're familiar with the story. Jesus started on his way, and a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus said. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud or dishonor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him, found favor, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow said, follow me. Jesus loved him, wanted him to literally follow him, maybe was calling him to be one of the apostles. I mean, he didn't didn't say that to many people. For many people, they would come to know him or whatever, and they'd say, Lord, I will follow you, then she'll go back and tell the family what great things God's done for you. But for this guy, he says, Follow me, sell everything and follow me. And the guy went away. He was sad. He went away. And Jesus let him go. He didn't go chasing after him, saying, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Don't you reconsider? Don't you realize what you're going to miss out on? Don't you realize the consequences of your decision? He let him go. See, God doesn't drive you and make you do his plan for your life. He guides you, but he wants you to voluntarily submit and follow him. Thank you. 
Monday afternoon, 55 students and leaders left to go to Glorio, New Mexico, the Baptist encampment. They had a 55-passenger bus. They had 53 people, kids, and leaders on the bus, two following each car. Uh, they went to Amarillo and spent the night, got up the next day and ran the camp, and uh, just had a marvelous week. You see a lot of the video was about some of the recreation and things they did in the afternoons. They had a great time. There was a lot to do. They had a really fun time. But they woke up every morning, and one of the first things they did was have a worship time, and then they would have quiet time, and then they had sort of a group time where they had some Bible studies and things that they could um, apply uh, to their lives. Then they'd go through the day, and then they would end each night with a worship service and preaching and hearing from God and a call to church and commitment. And so on Thursday night, the last night of camp, there was a mighty move of God among, I hope, the whole camp, but very specifically our particular Thursday group. And after the service was over, they went together, and they were there sharing with one another the preacher from the camp actually came in and sat in with our group, and they began to share what God had said to them, and they began to share openly and began to confess some things going on in their lives, and uh, basically just revival broke out. And while they were there, it just went on for well after midnight. There were kids just broken, crying, sharing a lot of pain that nobody knew, and our leaders just weren't astounded at the issues that our young people faced, problems at home, problems at school. One young man who was on the trip uh, had been being bullied at school, was being bullied so badly that he had decided to take his life. And so deciding that he was going to end his life, he got a text message from one of our young people saying, would you like to go to camp? And he went to camp, and he was one of the ones who shared this morning in the service and said that God touched his life, and he said, I'm just getting closer to God. And he said, I'm thankful for you and your loving acceptance. One of the young men who went on the trip gave his life to Jesus Christ. He'd been attending for four years, but never gave his life to Christ. So one night in that group on Thursday night, he told them all, I gave my life to God tonight, got saved. And they said his whole countenance had changed. Hadn't smiled all week long, and now he said they couldn't keep the smile off his face. Every one of our young people, when they were asked, when Chris asked, how many of you are closer to God now than you were at the beginning of the week? And everybody raised their hand. So our young people this morning said to the first service, and they would say to you if they were not asleep by now, they would uh, say to you, thank you for sending us to camp. It took $30,000 to send those 55 people to camp, of which you provided through fundraisers and your gifts and scholarships. You provided over 18000 of that in the trip that underwrote so that those young people could go to camp. Not only that, but they, you know, over the last year and a half or so with COVID, it is just wreaked havoc on relationships, dividing people, separating people. This was a magnificent event to bring our young people back together as a cohesive unit 
And Jim is one of them that they really got close to tithing to him, ready to start the youth year, hopefully serving the Lord again, serving the Lord. So thank you, Kirk, for sending him to camp. It was a fantastic week. I'm grateful for all the prayers that many of you shared. As we get ready to go today, we have another camp starting tomorrow for our elementary kids. I mean, we have 34 going to elementary camp tomorrow. And so about 26, 27 children. We're not exactly sure yet about number 27, whether they're going or not. So when you add those 34, maybe 35 to the 55, that is 89 or 90 children and youth who were at camp this week and next week. If you made that possible, I want to ask you to pray for our children's leadership as they go. Pray for the children as many of them give their lives to Christ. They will have an experience with God this week at camp that they will never get over. This will be one of those moments in their life that if the Lord tarries 15, 20, 50 years from now, somebody's asking them about their relationship with God, they'll point back to this week. Wouldn't that be incredible? So let's all stand together. Would you join me as we pray for our children's camp this week and thank God for his mighty movement of his spirit among our young people this last week. We're so grateful that you've come. I hope you'll come back next week as we continue the series, How God Guides Your Life. Bring somebody with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the incredible things you're doing through our church and in the lives of our young people, our children, and so many others. We give you all the praise. We know that we are absolutely powerless. There is nothing we can do in our own strength to touch anybody's life. So anyone drawn to a Savior is working miracles. Thank you so very much for working, Lord, in the lives of our teenagers and our youth leaders this week. Thank you for the lives that were changed. Thank you for the souls saved. Thank you for the souls recommitted to you, for the cohesiveness and healing that took place in some of their lives. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you are doing. I pray that you'd help us continue, God, to see the mighty work of God in our the lives of our young people. I pray that this nucleus of young people now would be so in love with Jesus, so just contagious of their love for Jesus that when this new high school opens up in just a few weeks, I pray that you would draw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teenagers to Jesus Christ through these young people through our youth leaders. I pray, O oh God, for our children who are going to camp this week and those who will lead them. I pray it would be a mighty week for God. I pray the Spirit of God would draw every one of these children to you. Not just our kids, but every kid that will be there, Lord, from wherever they are coming from. May there be a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God. And would you do such a work in the lives of every one of these children and every one of these children's workers that, Lord, they will point back this week as one of those pivotal moments when they met God and they became a Christian. Lord, protect them, keep them safe, keep them healthy. And, Lord, may we hear next week about what great things you've done. Thank you for your people here. I pray, God, for every one of them that we would all make the decision to submit to your guidance once and for all in our lives. And 
I pray these things in Jesus' name. You are dismissed. God bless you.